Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living. Can you give the Lord a hand as you're seated? Make sure you say hi to the person next to you. In fact, I'm going to say good morning to you. Good morning. Turn to somebody and say, hey, how you doing? Do that real quick and say hi to them. Make sure they feel okay about sitting close to you there. Not too close, but they're sitting near you anyway. If you have your Bibles with you, would you take them and turn to John chapter 4. John chapter 4, we're going to finish up a series today. We're going to get there in just a few minutes, but it's a series that we started about four weeks ago called Together, talking about the family of God, the body of Christ, what God wants to do through this thing called the church in unusual ways that he's designed that he's not going to do it any other way. We talked about four weeks ago, in our first week we talked about unity and how the power of one, and when we're together as one as the body of Christ, there's a courage that comes from that, that there's a courage that can't be matched by anyone else. We talked our second week about conflict, and that everybody does conflict, right? Everybody does conflict in the world, but when the body of Christ does conflict in the right way, in our marriages, our relationships, our church, that when we do it the right way, it actually serves as a light, as a, as a reflection into our world around us. And last week we talked about community, and certainly the world knows community, but God wants the church, the body of Christ, the family of God, to be a place of koinonia, fellowship, doing life together. Not, not just going through our sojourn alone, but that God has designed for us to do this thing together in community. And today I want to talk to you about common purpose, having a common focus as a body of Christ. And it actually started the first week when I read a passage in preparation that ultimately I didn't preach, but it's Paul's words uh, in Philippians chapter 2 when he says, and I love this passage because it describes what it ought to be like as a believer, but then he talks about the application of it as a believer. And he says, if any of you has any encouragement from being united with Christ, any comfort in his love, any fellowship with the Spirit. So you should have a fellowship with the Spirit if you are a believer in Jesus Christ. If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, and being one in spirit and purpose. And when I read that passage, it, it has really gnawed at me. Being one in purpose, that he wants the, the body of Christ, we'll just call it the local body, to be one in purpose, and I understand the importance of purpose and having agenda harmony. Anybody in the business world understands that, because you can't, you can't have multiple destinations for one organism, and so in the body of Christ, it's kind of like if you've ever been in a canoe with someone, and there's another person paddling, if you guys have two different destinations, you're constantly going to be pulling against one another, and so you got to make sure you not only have the same destination, but then you actually have to kind of work together to get there so you can steer. If you've ever been in a canoe or a boat with three people, Usually the person in the back is the rudder, and the other two people have to, have to, to, to not only paddle, but you've got to paddle at the same speed, which takes a little bit of mutual submission, because if the other person has the ability to paddle faster, you either got to try to pick it up, or the other person has to slow down, so you're paddling together. And imagine a boat with a thousand people in it, and everybody trying to do their own thing. It doesn't work. And so, so when Paul writes these words, he talks about the impact of purpose, on the body of Christ. About 18 years ago, I was in my first annual meeting here at Colonial Woods. It was on a Sunday night, probably the second week of November, that's usually when we do them, 2002. 
And I had never been at an annual meeting here. I didn't know what exactly they were supposed to be run like, but I was in charge, so I went ahead and put one together. And I decided we'd do some singing. We'd pray together. We conduct business, and we do the things that we do. But I also wanted to share a message in there, just kind of, kind of a rah-rah type thing. And so I, I shared out of a passage of Scripture, which I love, in 2 Corinthians chapter uh, 5, verse 17 through 20, where it says, if anyone is in Christ, he's a, he's a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. That means your life's been changed. But then he says, and God has done all of this to redeem us or reconcile us to himself and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. So basically what Paul says is, God has pulled us close to his heart in relationship so that we can then in turn have the ministry of helping other people come close to him. God changes lives to change lives. And he uses changed lives to change lives. And I tell people all the time when we talk about that evening, that was the night I discovered what the purpose of Colonial Woods was. I didn't create it. I didn't make it up. I discovered it because the response from those who had gathered to do business, which you wouldn't think doing business of the church is very spiritual, but one by one people came up and just said, man, pastor, that was awesome. That's exactly where we need to be. That's what we need to be about. That's what our mission has to be. And I discovered, if you go out on the wall and you look at the two ministering sisters that began this church some 125 plus years ago, at the very heart of that ministry were changed lives. Now, they may not have called it changed lives. It was about taking and rescuing those who were far from God, bringing them near. Which, by the way, is not a bad purpose for the church. I mean, we could say our primary purpose as individuals in the world is to bring glory to God. I think that's just the, everybody in the world, we're called to bring glory to God. But a close second to that is to be involved in telling others about who he is and helping them come near to him, change lives. And I know it's the heart of God because God's word talks so much that it is his heart. 1 Timothy chapter 2, when Paul talks about praying for those in authority and making prayer and intercession, he says this, I urge you, first of all, that requests, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for everyone, for kings and those in authority, whether you like them or not, and that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. This is good, and it pleases God our Savior who wants all men, I assume all women, all people, all old, all young, he wants everyone to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth because there's only one God and one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus. The heart of God. He wants everyone to be saved. And just in case Paul was kind of had his own little mission, Peter backs up the agenda. In 2 Peter chapter 3, when he's talking about the day of the Lord and talking about end times, he says this. He says, but don't forget this thing, dear friends. With the day, with the Lord, a day is like a thousand years and a thousand years is like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. 
God's heart, Peter says, is God does not want anyone to perish. In fact, infers that the Lord is kind of pushing off the very end of days as long as possible so that the maximum number of people can turn to him in transformation, in repentance, turning away from an old life, turning to him, translation, change life. God wants to see people come close to him. One of the favorite parables in, in the New Testament Jesus gives us is Luke 15. And it doesn't matter if it's a lost coin or a lost uh, son or a lost sheep. God rejoices when lost things are found and come close to him again. Jesus, in his last words to the disciples, says, Go and make disciples. And by the way, can't be a disciple until you first come through change. He says, Go and make disciples of all nations baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And he says, and teaching them everything that I've taught you. Teach them to obey. And oh, by the way, I promise I'll be with you always, even to the end of the age. God's heart is transformation. God's heart is for life change to take place, for changed lives. And so, so that makes sense, that that's a pretty good purpose for the body of Christ to be about. Now, why is that important? Well, John chapter 4. I want you to get a glimpse of what not just a church on purpose, but a life on purpose, how this will change your life. Because when we have a God-ordained purpose, it will transform your encounters with people. We could have looked at any one of Jesus' encounters because if there was ever a life that was on mission, on purpose, Jesus said, I have not come to be served, but to serve and to die as a ransom for many. What is my role? My role, even by my very death, is to reach those who are far from God and help them to come near. Translation, changed lives. That's what I'm about and he lives it out in his day to day in an encounter with the Samaritan woman John chapter 4 now Jesus is in Judea the southern part of uh, of Israel he has to go to Galilee which is in the northern part and verse 4 of chapter 4 of John is where we start this is what it says now Jesus had to go through Samaria so he came to a town in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about the sixth hour. The day starts at six. Sixth hour is around noon. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, Will you give me a drink? His disciples had already gone into town to buy food. And the Samaritan woman said to him, and I'm trying to give you a little bit of disdain and disgust. <laughs> You're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. And oh, by the way, later on we learn, and Jewish rabbis do not associate in public with women. Jesus answered, well, everyone who drinks this water I'm sorry, let me go back here. Jesus said in verse 10, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Well, sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. 
where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob? I think she's still poking him just a bit. And he says, are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, as did his sons and his flocks and his herds? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I give will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. John later describes the spring as the Holy Spirit, eternal life transformation. Again, translation, change your life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep on coming here to draw water. And he said, Go call your husband and come back. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said, You're right when you say you have no husband. In fact, you've had five husbands, and the man you're now with is not your husband, so what you've said is quite true. You ever been a part of an awkward conversation? Sir, the woman said, um, I can see that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain. You Jews claim that it must be in Jerusalem. Jesus declared, believe me, woman, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain or in Jerusalem because you Jews worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when true worshipers will worship the Father, not in a place, not with a specific pastor, not a particular methodology, not in a particular platform, not in a particular size, not with a particular style. He says, you're going to worship in spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks because God is spirit and his worshipers must worship in spirit and in truth. And the woman said, I know the Messiah called the Christ is coming, and when he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, and John uses a word which illustrates, it is an authoritative declaration, I who speak to you am he. Now real quickly as we look at this, I want to look at this passage from a whole different set of eyes, because what I want you to see is a life that is on purpose, a life that is on mission. Jesus always knew what his purpose, his mission, what his calling was. And when you understand your purpose, your why, it will do some powerful things in your life. The first thing it will do is it will determine how you see people. Because Jesus did not see a Samaritan a mixed-race mutt in the religious world. Jesus did not see a woman or a gender which says you can't talk to her. Jesus didn't see a messy life, which even in their culture, they knew the law of God, they understood the Ten Commandments, and even in that culture, six guys is a lot. He didn't see her past, he didn't see her present, he saw a person and he saw a person who was thirsty and it is so interesting how we look at people through race through gender through messiness through their mess-ups through the mistakes they're making through their politics through whatever it is we see people and we define them by those things and it's interesting that when purpose becomes your focus 
you'll see them different. And while that other stuff may be fine and important, it does not become the major thing. Because you just want to reach someone who's thirsty. Number two. Your purpose will direct what you do. And oh, by the way, what you should not do. Which my wife said to me when I shared the concept with her earlier this week, is very freeing. Because when you realize that it's not what you're about, it frees you up. And it might be something very nice, very good, but it is not going to help you accomplish what it is that you're supposed to accomplish. And so you don't do that. You know what you're supposed to do. It begins to drive you. It becomes your destination. And whatever you can do to accomplish that, that's what you do. Verse 4 has long been one of my most fascinating verses in Scripture in that John says Jesus had to go through Samaria. And I love John. He's one of my favorite authors in the New Testament. And I, I, I don't, I'm not calling him a liar, but no, he didn't. Jesus did not have to go through Samaria because nobody had to go through Samaria. He was in Judea in the south. Jesus was going to Galilee in the north. Kind of like a little half kidney bean coming into Israel is this area of Samaria. By the way, the reason that Jews didn't like to go to Samaria is they didn't like to hang out with Samaritans. And the reason they didn't like to hang out with Samaritans is because Samaritans had a Jewish lineage but it was not pure they had intermarried with a lot of different ethnicities and religions and as such they really despised the samaritans and you know if someone despises you long enough you start kind of looking at them the same way they didn't like each other and so most jews would simply take a longer route around samaria to get to where they needed to go how many of you have ever been out in public and you have someone that you know, it's a relationship that is either strained or it is awkward and you see them and you walk a long way around the store so that you don't have to get close to them? Any of you ever done that? Okay, there's a lot of people that didn't respond. So let me ask it this way. How many of you know someone who did that? Yeah, it's amazing how many hands went up on that one. Jews didn't want to be around them. But John's right when he says Jesus had to go through Samaria because I do believe that is accurate. He's inspired by the Holy Spirit. What it, the reason he had to go through Samaria is because there was a divine appointment that was on his calendar. There was a 12 o'clock-ish meeting that was going to happen at a town well that was going to happen with a woman who had a messy life that he knew was going to be thirsty. So he had to be there because that's what he was about changed lives and he was about thirsty people and it just so happened he knew how to quench the thirst so he had to be there to do what god called him to do but he didn't have to be there because that's the only way he could get there it drove him it determined him 
it, 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 every step he took was positioned by the purpose of his life, even his death, right? He, he could have easily bypassed the cross, but he knew the cross was part of the plan and the purpose, so he had to be there. Number three, when you understand your purpose, it will cause you to do and take some pretty big risks that otherwise you would have never taken. The woman kind of says it when she looks at him. She says, okay, uh, maybe you didn't realize this because you're talking to me. He says, uh, he says, you're a Jew. I'm a Samaritan woman. Uh, even I know that you shouldn't be hanging with me. You, you shouldn't be hanging out with a Samaritan. We don't get along. And by the way, the disciples later on came back, and the scandal wasn't that she was a Samaritan. It was that she was a woman. And they're starting to talk about it, going, what in the world is this guy doing? He's a rabbi. He's a Jew. And he's talking to a woman in a public place. <gasps> scandal. But Jesus always took risks with his reputation to see lives impacted and changed. He was called a glutton because he hung out with people who ate too much. He was called a drunkard because he hung out with people who drank too much. He was called a friend of sinners. Why? Because he was a friend of sinners. By the way, that's why people loved him. It wasn't that he didn't say hard things. I mean, he looks right at the woman and he confronts her with her past. It's not like Jesus never called people on the carpet. It's just that he still loved them even when he called them on the carpet because he saw them as people who were thirsty. And that's incredibly attractive to people when you don't see the stuff in their life and you just see them. A number of years ago, and it's been 20-some years ago, well before the time my dad passed away, I was attempting and trying to build a deeper relationship with my, God, my, my, my dad for several reasons. First of all, I wanted a deeper relationship with my dad but I also, um, because I spiritually wanted to have influence and impact into his life, just I wouldn't have a chance to talk to him about stuff. And so um, my dad uh, was going to a farm auction in a little town not far from where I lived. And I said, hey, Dad, I, 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 can, I can go over to the auction with you today. And, and so I went out and hung at the auction. And while we were there, I just said, hey, Dad, you hungry? You want to get something to eat? And he said, yeah, I could eat something. And he said, uh, I said, well, where, where, where's a good place to eat? And he said, well, you know, there's a really good place right down here, right in the middle. It's just a tiny little town, probably not much bigger than Yale, or not Yale, uh, uh, Brown City. I mean, it was just a tiny little town. And he said, there's a great little place to eat right there. Oh, he said, yeah, we, he says, you know what, you probably shouldn't eat there. And I said, well, why? He said, well, that's a bar. I said, okay. They got good food? He said, well, yeah, they got really good food. I said, well, then let's go. He goes, well, you probably shouldn't go there. I said, why, Dad? Oh, you're a pastor. I said, well, okay. Dad, I don't care. And I don't care who sees me there because I'm not there for the bar. I'm there for you. And by the way, if that's the best thing people had to look at in my life to figure out where I eat, you need a life. Amen? I mean, in Jesus' name, you need to get a better life. It's amazing how people will often presume that they, you can't be a part of things. I think that's what blew people away about Jesus. Because he was willing to bypass and hang out with them in places others just wouldn't. 
He would meet them where they're at. They didn't have to come to where he was. Number four, I think this is important. Our purpose avoids distractions. And I'm going to call them silly distractions. Do you notice how immediately she tries to change the subject when he starts talking to her about her past? She immediately starts, she wants to get into a, an argument over worship. I know that never happens in churches, but that's what she does. She decides she wants to get into an argument over worship, and so uh, we're going to have an argument over where's the right place to worship. And you guys say we're supposed to worship in Jerusalem, but, you know, our father, Jacob, says that we're supposed to, oh, by the way, you know Jacob, right? Kind of a big kind of a big wig within the Jew's life. I think there's a lot of sarcasm in this conversation. And she looks and says, he, we're supposed to worship here on this mountain. You guys say we're supposed to worship there. And Jesus, because what? He's not driven by distraction and foolish arguments, looks at her and says, it's not about a where, it's about a who. And I'm trying to introduce you to the one who quenches thirsts for all eternity and you're trying to get me off topic by talking about where. Let me introduce you to the who. I cannot tell you how many times people have tried to change, they, they've tried to chase me off by the stuff they'll throw out. And they'll tell me stories, or they'll do things, or they will throw certain word bombs out just to see if they can make me uneasy. And I just love telling people, you do realize I worked in a factory for five years of my life. There is, and I've been a pastor for 30. Let me tell you, there ain't a story and there ain't a word you can use that I haven't heard and that will chase me off. And I think they just want to see. But when you understand your purpose, all the distractions start to go away. Number five, if a purpose is really going to be a purpose and have any power whatsoever in your life, it's got to become personal. Verse 7 to me is one of the most powerful verses in this passage because everything turns on verse 7 with a very simple phrase. When the Samaritan woman came to draw water, here's what it said, Jesus said to her. Jesus spoke to her. Jesus interacted with her. Jesus engaged her. Jesus gave her the time of day, and everything changed. Because it is all well and good to have a purpose. But if it doesn't involve a person, it doesn't have much impact. And you know what? It's one thing to be a church that has a mission of changed lives, but a church with a mission of changed lives has to be full of people with a personal mission of changed lives, or there's not much change going to happen. Amen? Right? Because we can. We can. Everything corporate has to become personal. We can be corporately generous and yet individually stingy. We can be corporately mission-minded and yet individually never care or pray for a, a, a missionary or 
to provide for a missionary. We can, be, we can be a compassionate church and yet never personally engage. I can be about changed lives as a church, but if I don't personally embrace it and embody it and then put a face behind it, it doesn't do anything. It's a what without a why. It's a, it's a where without a who. And so any purpose, whatever your purpose, it's got to become personal to be transformative. A couple of years ago, I was um, in Fort Wayne, Indiana at our national conference in which Michael W., a Christian comedian, was speaking. And I, I couldn't figure out why the phrase was sticking in my head. I, I got online. It's the title today. It's Know Your Why. And, and, I, and I found on the internet, it, it, it's this clip which he actually showed two years ago when I was at the conference. I want us to watch it together. How do I know? A lot of people, when they think of the phrase, how do I know, they always want to put the what behind it. How do I know what I'm supposed to do? The, the question that you really should ask is, how do I know why I'm here? Because when you know your why, your what becomes more clear and more impactful. If you know, like for instance, um, people know that I do comedy, but that's what I do. My why is to inspire people to walk in purpose. So I can do comedy, I can write books, I can be in a movie, because all of it is motivated by my why. In fact, I have a new, uh, a new web series out called Michael Jr. Break Time. Uh, we probably just did the sixth episode, it's on YouTube. So every single Wednesday at three o'clock, we drop a new episode on YouTube of Michael Jr. Break Time. What it is, is it's me, I travel around the country and I do stand-up comedy, in case you didn't know. And in the middle of my comedy set sometime, I'll stop and just talk to my audience. And we've been filming this and it's, you know, it's, it's pretty cool. So we're in Winston-Salem, I'm gonna show you a clip from Winston-Salem. And I'm just talking to this guy in the audience and he tells me that he's a, uh, a musical instructor at a school. So I was like, all right, you're a musical instructor, you know, can you sing? Let me hear you sing a song. So this is what happened at the last episode of Michael Jr.'s Break Time. Check it. So you're a musical director. Cool. Yes, sir. All right, so um, let, me get a couple, let me get a couple bars of like uh, Amazing Grace. Can you do the first part of that? Let me, go ahead. Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Wow. That brought could sing. You know what I'm saying? All right, all right. Um, now, once you give me the version, is if uh, your uncle just got out of jail, you got shot in the back when you was a kid. I'm just saying, let me see the hood version real quick. If you know which version I'm talking about, just see if that exists. Let me see what you got. Amazing grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. Oh, 
Here's what I want you to catch. The first time I asked him to sing, he knew what he was doing. The second time, he knew why he was doing it. When you know your why, your what becomes more impactful because you're walking towards or in your purpose. Isn't that great? Isn't that a great video? What's your purpose? It's to worship God and bring Him glory. Why? Because in 1986, for some reason, the God who created this universe decided to meet Phil Whetstone personally in a barn and reveal himself as the loving God who loves me even though I wasn't even sure I could love myself. What's your purpose? Change lives. Why? Because on that day it so transformed who I was that I thought, how in the world could I not want to spend the rest of my life helping other people understand just how much he loves them? When your purpose moves from corporate to personal, then it will become powerful. And until it becomes personal, until it drives passion, it will not be transformative. But when you allow it to go from out there as to what I'm supposed to do and become personal into what God has called me to do, that will be truly impactful. And God wants that for every one of your lives. He wants your life to be transformational, powerful, and personal, and to be so much more. You see, if there's something missing in the church today, and it's not the church of Colonial Woods, it's the church. It's passion. And passion is not a stirred-up emotion or a zeal that is just somehow artificially inflated. It is a life that embraces what God has done, fueled by the Spirit of God, directed toward persons in our life. Why, why do we pray for changed lives? Why do, we, why do we do live stream for changed lives? Why do we do TV for changed lives? Why divorce care? Because some people are broken and they're hurting and they're thirsty and you get to give them a cup of water, which is the Spirit of God. Why grief share? Because when you're broken, you're at your deepest point of need. Why children's ministry? It's not because you want a bunch of people in a room, for goodness sake. 
It's for the potential of a life that gets caught on fire for Christ and is transformationally changed. Why counsel? Because a marriage where you're broken and come together is transformational and it's life-changing. Oh, by the way, in verse 28, she goes and tells the entire town about this guy who she had an interaction with. And in verse 39, it says, and many Samaritans in that town were, became believers because of the testimony of a life that was changed from a person who was driven by purpose. Howard Schultz, who uh, was the founder of Starbucks, which by the way I like a lot, said, care more than others think wise, dream more than others think practical, expect more than others think possible, risk more than others think safe. And I am so convicted by that because this guy cares that much about a cup of coffee. And I'm not sure I care that passionately all the time about people. And which one is far more valuable? An eternal soul that's going to live somewhere? Or a cup of coffee? And so, Father, I find this to be such a penetrating corporate message that really becomes a very personal message, not for the people around me, but for me. Give me a vision, Lord, not of what, but of who. Give me a vision, Lord, not of what, but of why. Impassion me, Lord. Give me a face. Give me a name. It's a spouse. It's a child. It's a parent. It's a friend. It's the child of a parent. It's the one you've watched. It's your God children. It's your name, fill in the blank. It's the person who works next door in the cubicle. There's a face, there's a person behind the purpose that you've called me to. God, I don't want to be just part of some mission that our church or that the body is supposed to embrace. Lord, I want to embrace the vision that you've called me to because I want to make a difference because you changed my life. And I want to be a part of changing other lives. Thanks, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Colonial Woods Missionary Church presents Keys to Confident Living.